Praise God. If you're turning your Bibles to, to where we left off this morning, which was Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 13. I'll just read that scripture before we start. Could I have my priest up, please? Steve, thank you. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 31. Just have that open before you. Lord, indeed, we commit ourselves into your hands tonight. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and be our teacher. The scriptures say that you will guide us into all truth. And we invite you tonight to, 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 to minister the truth of the word of God. Lord, I pray we would leave this place seeing Jesus differently, in a better light. Seeing you, God, our Father, our creator, maker of the heavens and the earth, you who sent your son to die for us, seeing you properly, and you, Holy Spirit, knowing where you are, what you do, and what you long to do with groans within us. We'll open our minds, our spirits, we pray in Jesus' name. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 31, as we read this morning, Moses uh, was talking to the people and the people had had a lot of victories. You know, if failure doesn't destroy you, victory just might. Okay? Victory can be a dangerous thing for some people. Can make them proud when you start to see some successes. Look at me a minute. What would happen to you if you laid hands on a dead person and they were raised to life? What would happen to you? What, how would you react to that? That's a great thing, but there's also dangers of great pride. And you can start to get cocky, you can start to get confused about the source of the power that moved through you. This is what happened to the people of Israel. They had seen huge manifestations as they passed out of Egypt, came through the wilderness, and ended up in the promised land. And Moses was looking at them, and he knew that they were starting to credit themselves for the things that God alone had done. They were starting to get a little bit proud of that cloud, that pillar of fire, a little bit proud of who they were in the world, the called out ones, if you like, the Jews. And so Moses needs to correct them. And that's where this passage comes in, this particular verse. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, he says, There you saw how the Lord your God carried you. You didn't carry yourself. It was the Lord your God who actually carried you. And he carried you like a father carries his son. Now, you know what, folks? There's absolutely no point in Moses saying this apart from the fact to, to illustrate to these people, that it wasn't you. It wasn't because of your godliness. It wasn't because of your goodness. Did you think that was because of your righteousness? No, that was not because of your righteousness. Have you ever seen, say, a father playing football with his son? And the father goes out and he gets the ball and he, he taps the ball like that towards the son. He said, go on, kick the ball and I'll try and save it. And, and the little boy hasn't got enough strength in his legs, can hardly keep his balance, and he, he kicks the ball. And the father goes, oh, 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 you gotta go. And that's what this is. They didn't have the strength. They would have been destroyed in Egypt 
if it were not for God. And Moses knows that. Moses, remember, he knew God intimately. And he wanted to point out to them, that was not you. It was God. He picked you up and he carried you. Now remember to honor him. Deuteronomy is a fantastic book, an excellent book. Brings your feet right down to earth. And you see, folks, so it is with us. It's that priesthood thing. If you have had prayers answered, you've got to understand it wasn't because of your righteousness. And it never will be because of your righteousness. Because on your best day, you're still a filthy rag. Sorry. Now, I know there's the flip side of that where we're made righteous and all that. That's not tonight's topic. It's crucial that we understand the role and our need for Jesus Christ. That's what's crucial. You need to know that your prayers are not answered on your merit. Just as you were not saved on your own merit, nor are your prayers. He ever lives to intercede for us. As he is, so are we. And he's fine. Amen. He stands before, he sits at the right hand of the Father, actually. And that's that position where your prayers go through Jesus Christ. Awesome. Fantastic. Now, we saw this morning a little bit of the procedure that's happened here. And it's eye-opening for us and hopefully humbling for us to see what Christ has done for us. In the beginning, before the priesthood, it was every man for himself. If you lived well, God would bless you. If you lived badly, he would curse you. Right? Then that's prior priesthood. But God knew that the, the flood had happened and God knew he was going to have to destroy man and he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to destroy everybody, so enter in the priesthood. And God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, set someone apart. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reverse this collective responsibility. I'm going to appoint a priest. And I'll relate to him. Because if I don't, I'll wipe them all out. And this is the first inkling of the Savior. It's the foreshadow of Jesus Christ. So God began to relate to Aaron. And to speak to Aaron, Aaron would go into the holy place, as we'll see in a moment. And that, but Aaron was a, you know, a, a sinner. And that type of priesthood, that was the Old Testament type. And now we have Jesus Christ, who ever lives, our great high priest. Tonight, what I want to do is to move, if I could have my next slide there, please, the, the tabernacle. Many of you may have seen pictures of this before. It's, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. In the book of Hebrews, God says an amazing thing. He says, this is a replica of what exists in heaven. Ah. So if you ever wanted to get a little glimpse into heaven, there you go, right there. Don't ever think that there's not procedure with God. It's a mistake. There's procedure with God. There's etiquette. There's protocol. Call it what you want. And this is God's way, at least in the Old Testament. We'll see how it moves into New Testament reality in our lives and in the Gospels in a moment. But this is it. The priesthood is not just an Old Testament thing, right? 1 Peter, what does he say? We are a royal priesthood. We, that's us, that's you. So if you do not understand the high priest and his role, if you do not understand your priestly nature, your priesthood, you can't function particularly in prayer because that's a major aspect of the priestly nature, is the praying nature. So we, as priests, you as a priest, need 
to understand the function of the tabernacle, the role of the high priest, my role as a priest, etc., etc., etc. And I, I emphasize, folks, many people, they, 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 they come to Pastor Tom, myself, or whatever, and say, would you pray for this? Would you pray for that? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? You get it? Till you're blue in the face, to be honest with you. <laughs> people ask for it constantly. And you know, you don't mind. I don't mind. Of course I don't mind. I'll happily pray for you. I don't mind someone coming to me once, you know, once a month or so, maybe once every six months. But it doesn't half bother you when someone can't walk past you without saying, would you pray for me? I think, can you pray for yourself? How weak is your faith? You believe in my prayers, is that it? You believe in my prayers, but you don't believe in your own. That's what that is. You think God will answer me, is it? And he won't answer you. Probably that's what you're thinking. But many people rely and crave and look for the prayers of others. And that's no good. In James, it says Elijah was a man just like us. Amen. He was a normal guy. And you can get, if you're sitting there with some wrong comprehension, that's, who shall we use? Reinhard Bonnke or someone who, who does raise the dead? That he's some sort of, you know, Holy Joe, if I can use, sorry, Joe, some, some sort of Holy Joe. That he's not, you see. He's not. He's not any, he's an ordinary man. He's an ordinary guy, just like you. Right? Crucial that we get that. I mean, look at Abraham. Abraham's famous for faith. Holy? No. Lots of holy people. <laughs> Lots of holy people in society. And God passes them all by. It's not what I'm, I was actually looking for. I'm looking for, oh, there, Abraham. Someone who believes in themselves, their own righteousness, their own, no, that's going to actually be a hindrance to you on this. I need someone who's got faith in me. Someone who understands what I do, who believes in me, who will trust in me, so that I can do the work I want to do. Right? Now, righteousness, holy living, amen, you know, uh, it, it has its place. I'm not demeaning that in any way, shape, or form. I just want it to be in its proper place. Amen? It has a place. It has a proper place. And it's a place that doesn't give me credit, if you like, before God. So you and I need to know this structure here backwards. We need to understand it fully. It's a gift. You want to know about heaven? You want to know how we're going to be forever or how to, you know, have some form or semblance of a successful prayer life? This is the illustration that God has given us, at least in the Old Testament. And as I say, we'll see how it pans out in the new. Don't answer this question. What's your plan for getting closer to God in your life? What's your plan? What's your strategy? I take it and I believe you do. You want to draw nearer to God. How are you going to do that? And the answer is, you see, the Bible gives us a very clear route. A man draws near to God through sacrifices. Nothing's changed on that score. Now, this is a hot topic because some, Pastor Tom and I were in a, at a conference not long ago. And there was a young preacher talking about the fact that Jesus, from Hebrews, Jesus died once for all sin, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was a once only thing. He was going down that road. And how we now, there is no more sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. And he was saying, you know, sit back, take it easy. So he was a young man. There was a much, much older man there, Ray Belfield. He's about 80 now. 
And Ray didn't like where the messages were going. In fact, he got up and corrected the entire group. And he said, you know, friends, I'm sorry, but you're completely wrong. Completely wrong. Sacrifices are still the method for drawing near to God. That part didn't change. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. In terms of salvation, there is no sacrifice but his. Amen? In terms of the removal of our sin, of course, we're not saying that. But in, in terms of other aspects of drawing near to God, Peter says that God is well pleased with these sacrifices. Cornelius in the book of Acts was credited and applauded for his sacrifice, which was actually a prayer sacrifice, if you remember. They came up before God. So in the book of Malachi, the people cried out, Lord, you know, how, how shall a man draw near to God? And the answer is right there with sacrifices and offerings. I just want to keep our Pentecostal fervor grounded in the Bible. That's all. You didn't create God. You didn't make him. This is how he illustrates himself. He describes him as an awesome, awesome, all-consuming fire. Not this so much gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, Christmas card type Jesus. This awesome, awesome, awesome God that was so holy, this was the illustration he gave. So on your notes there, I've given you the, the, the Old Testament rituals, which you, which you will read as you read through Isaiah or Jeremiah or whatever, and the New Testament reality of what they meant. There was the burnt offering. What's that? Well, that's living sacrifices. That's just you when you laid down your life. Does it have a New Testament counterpart? Absolutely. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, right? Therefore, let us, let us offer our bodies as holy and living sacrifices, pleasing to God. There's a sacrifice right there. Paul talks about in Romans 12. Let us offer our bodies as holy and living sacrifices unto God. Amen? The second one, the meal offering. What is that? Well, that's good works in, in New Testament terms. The peace offering becomes praise. The sin offering in the Old Testament with the blood of bulls and goats turns into the blood of Jesus. The trespass offering turns into confession, etc., etc. And you can see how all of those things actually have a living New Testament counterpart. In the Old Testament was ritual. In the New Testament, all about relationship. I wish this picture was a bit better, but it's not too bad. You know the story. The outer court. The holy place. The holy of holies. Now, the prayer bit, which is our focus, really, we got to get into the Holy of Holies. That's where we got to get to for effective prayer. But there's a fair bit of stuff to get through before we arrive there. So you come near to God. Someone tells you about Jesus. You're getting saved. You've heard the gospel. And you start to repent. And this is the picture. It's you when you came to Christ. It's you when you repented. You enter into a new world, the church. You make new friends. You come in and you realize the first thing you encounter is called the brazen altar. You realize that your life is going to have to go on that fire. Serious stuff. The brazen altar. And the, I mean, we could spend a long time on this. Now, let me just explain it to you. See this. There was no fire on this. It was empty. And the people had to come, the priests had to come with their bulls or goats, right? The fire had to be constructed in just the right way. They had to present it in just the right attitude. The animals would be put 
upon the fire. And who lit the fire? God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? They bring their calves, bring their lambs, set it on the altar, and then you step back. And they would watch. And fire would fall from the sky, but only when the offering was acceptable. Only when the heart was right, the presentation was right, the protocol was obeyed. So what is the New Testament counterpart of this? Does fire still fall today? Oh, you better believe it, folks. Forgive me if you've heard this before. Many new people here. See, I had that. That hit me not long after I got saved. I went through all the things I've just said. Repenting of my sin. Turning to Jesus. Took myself up a mountain. Fasted. I was gone for 30 days. Not long saved. But cleaning myself out. Going before God. And I'm sitting in the church one Sunday night and I'm just presenting myself at the beginning of my Christian life to God. And I don't know how to describe it. In some ways, I've lost, I'm lost for words. But if you've ever had an electric shock, ever had an electric shock? Well, this would be probably the, 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 the longest, I don't know, how long was that, Jeanette? Three, four minutes, I, I was in my seat. I ended up getting up, and this was not the sort of church you do this sort of thing in, you know, it was a Baptist church. I ended up in the middle of the aisle. And all I can tell you, folks, my head was pushed by a hand from heaven down into that carpet. So strong, so forced. The word glory means weight. And the weight above me was too much to stand. Could not stand. And yet those around, just fear gripped the place. And my head was pushed into the floor whilst all I can describe as electricity, but it didn't hurt me, but it was, it was like electric, flooding, floods and floods and floods and floods through my body, scared the living daylights out of me and everybody else. Poor, just simply, simply this, simply this. And I got up off that floor. I didn't know which way was up. I was actually sick for a few days afterwards. And that disturbed me until I saw Daniel. When Daniel, he says that when the Lord came upon him, he fell sick for three days. I thought, praise God, I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> Powerful. When I got up off that floor, we, you know, talk with the pastor. He had been baptized in fire. He knew what that was about. He understood what was happening. I think he was about the only one in the whole place who understood what was happening. But he protected me and, 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 and helped me a lot. But this is as real today as this was then. It's not, th this was physical fire. This was fire fire. But what we should receive today by making a proper presentation of your life to God. You need to make a proper presentation of your life to God. And that's, I guess, I was ruthless, utterly ruthless in that pursuit. I left, I left no stone unturned in my life. I, told, I didn't know. I'm just saved. I don't know. So I sold the stuff I had. Left myself with like two pairs of trousers. You know, nothing. Sold everything. Cleared my flat because nothing, nothing is going to come between me and God. I need this. I need this. I see it. I don't have it. And I don't know what's stopping it. But I'm not going to take any risks. Now, don't go home and sell everything you've had and think you're going to baptize in fire. You know what I'm saying, right? That's the ruthlessness, I believe, that precedes this. 
And anything less is really not really seeking. It's just pretendy religion, Pentecostal religion. Now, the other thing about the fire, and this is not so good, not so hot, the fire only falls once. And then it was the job of the priests to keep the fire burning. But if the priests got lazy and they let the fire go out, God would never light the fire the second time. They had to do it themselves. They had to go and get the wood. They had to go and get the fire, the torch. They had to keep the thing going. And that's just a picture for us. God will give you that fresh start. He's a good God. He'll give you that. He'll light your fire. But it is your responsibility to keep it going. And by the way, all fires have one thing in common. They need fuel. They need fuel. And that fuel needs to be put on that fire on a daily basis or the fire, like any other fire, is going to go out. Okay? Now, you say, well, did the fire go out for good? Well, what would happen is they had to construct the temple. They would set up the, burning, the, 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 the brazen altar. They would bring the animals and put it and wait until everything was right. Waiting, waiting for God. And then, boom, and Israel would rejoice. The Lord has received our sacrifice. Now, if it went out, the priests had to light it again. Okay? But then God would say, move. And they had to decamp. They had to pack everything up and move. Did God light the fire twice? Well, yes. When they reestablished the, the tabernacle in another place, when they moved, then he would start all over again with them and give them another chance. So, relevant for today? You better believe it's relevant for today. It's just the Old Testament way of showing it to us. So that was the first thing you encountered when you walked in to the tabernacle. The need for your life to be given up to God as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. Romans 12 verses 1 to 3, a living sacrifice. The second thing you encounter was the laver where the priests would wash. Very simply, just speaking of baptism, which follows salvation very often, that people will go and get baptized. That's what the laver simply was. After that, you move in to the holy place. And in there, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a strange place. It was all gold. The entire thing was covered in gold. And it was dimly lit. It was in there that the menorah and the showbread were. You can imagine that gold-covered you know, room that you were in there and the, the lights and how they would have flickered off the surfaces because gold is highly reflective. And there would have been a gold ambience in that place. It must have been, you know, pretty scary in some ways because you're right up against the, the Holy of Holies. You're getting very close to God. It's just before we go through that curtain, there's a few things we need to remember. Like the cross. And in that holy place was the showbread. Representative of the broken body of Christ that was to come. And it was dimly lit. So you could see it. And I think it's there just as a, before we go any further, my son will be honored and remembered by you as we start to draw near to God. And it's, it's kind of scary. You know, I love communion. But I think we so easily take it lightly, take it tritely. And I think that's a place, just as you come near to God, that there's that pause. Remember the broken body. Of Jesus Christ. Wow, what it must have been like to go in there. What that must have been like. 
Remember, they didn't have a Bible. It wasn't like today. But to, for, for the priest to walk through that must have been you know, a pretty scary thing. So they passed through the candlestick and the, the, the menorah and the showbread. And then they go up against the curtain, the, the veil. And up against the veil was the golden altar. And it's at this place that the priest would offer thanksgiving and praises to God. Now he's almost in the Holy of Holies. The veil was about four inches thick. There was no door in it. That was the point of a veil. No point in having a veil if there's a door in it. So between, you've got the outer court, you enter in to the holy place. But between the holy place and the holy of holies was a four inch thick woven veil. Woven of, you guessed it, blue, purple and scarlet as the doorway between the, 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 the barrier, if you like, at that point between man and God. The veil was not yet torn in two. So the priest would approach this veil and he would stand, excuse my back, but he would stand, pretend this is the veil. It's solid. You know, they said horses at either end could not pull that thing apart. It's solid. He can't go through it. He would stand before the veil and he would worship God, bringing, offering sacrifices, actually saying sorry for the sins of Israel that they had committed and they didn't know about. Sins of ignorance. And he, he, he would lift that up. And as he stood there, if his heart was right and if it was acceptable to God, he would miraculously pass through the material. And he would find himself standing on the other side. It was a miracle. There's two miracles in the tabernacle. The first miracle happened in the outer court. When fire would fall from the sky. The second miracle would happen from moving the priest through that physical cloth. And the priest would find himself standing in the holy of holies. Now you can imagine as Israel camped, which is what they did, camped around this tabernacle. When the word went out, Aaron's gone. Aaron's gone. And Aaron had been accepted, if you like, to move in. High priest at that time. And Israel's safe for one more year. Israel has the blessing of God for one more year. It was the day of atonement. So Aaron would appear and he would stand there in the holy of holies. Wow. And it's just, you can look at this in many different ways. Body, soul, and spirit, outer court, holy place, holy of holies. You can look at it in, 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 in many different ways. But you can imagine what that must have been like. The outer court is not where we're supposed to stay. It's all well and good. Of course we need to repent of our sins. Of course we need to turn to God. But this is a bit like, you know, coming to Jesus and knowing about the cross. You need to keep going. Of course the cross is, is, is with us, but there's life as well. There's, there's life, eternal life to be entered into. And we keep going, keep moving, keep moving. And we end up in there in the presence of God. For them, only the priest could do it. For us, because Jesus died, he tore the veil, right? It was rent top to bottom. And it was rent showing that the way the access is now open, not by Aaron, because Aaron was a sinner, but by the Lord Jesus Christ, our sinless great high priest. Now, there's a lot, there's a, I mean, pretty obviously there's a lot here. Let me say this. Many people are on fire for God, but have no 
heart for God. Okay? You can be on, you see, the fire is an initial thing. Many people get saved and, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But there's a little bit more to it. There's the honoring. After the fire falls, you need to keep moving. And he brings you in and he actually confronts you with the fact that the Son of God was crucified, the showbread. It's not just about the fire. It's about your heart. Is it possible for people to be on fire for God and not have a heart for God or for people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they linger in the outer court and they've never gone in and had that heart transplant. Never gone into the presence because two different things happen, if you like, in, in that structure right there. In the brazen altar, that's you giving your life to God. In the Holy of Holies, that's God's putting his heart in you. These are two different things. And it's all well and good to be baptized in fire. It's all well and good to have a, 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 you know, that type of experience or, or pursuit in your life. But it doesn't actually mean much. Not without the heart. It's the heart. that God's got a goal here. His goal is to bring you right in to his presence. Amazing. And, 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 and lastly, in that holy place, well, I can only construe, I wasn't there, but it's the anointing. Aaron has, and any of you who are ministers here, you will know this procedure. Aaron has sacrificed all for God. He's moved in. He's respecting Jesus Christ, if you like. And now he's coming into the place where the anointing can come upon him. Remember, this is Old Testament days. Amazing. It can reside upon him. And that's where we're supposed to live. This is supposed to be our existence, that we walk in that anointing. Now, the anointing is a funny thing. The first time I ever preached, it was a Baptist church. And I, I arrived very frightened. It was too big an event, really, for a first attempt. It was about 300 people there. And it was a very strict church. Um, so I arrived frightened, having spent like four weeks writing one message. You know the story. And I'm sitting on the front road, on the, on, on the front seat, and I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm going to stand up there. I'm going to make a fool of myself. But something happened that I had never experienced before. It was the first time it had ever happened to me. An anesthetization? I was anesthetized. To what? To myself to my own right and wrong. That's what I was anesthetized to. As I sat, as the worship was going on, I said, oh God, God help me, God help me. You know, and I'm so conscious of who? Me. And the wonderful thing about the anointing, when the anointing comes on you, you forget about you. Your whole focus, see this brazen altar, it's all about you. It's all about you laying your life down. But it's not quite... The Holy of Holies, is it? In the Holy of Holies, you forget all about yourself and you become God-conscious, God-centered. You're not thinking about the past or your sin and what you've repented of or anything else. Once you've passed through this structure, if you like, or experience for us as believers, you come in before God and He takes away that. That's a fantastic thing. Folks, question for you. How is your prayer time? Is your prayer time spent repenting, confessing, 
constantly conscious only of yourself and your own weaknesses, your own fallibility, well then we're not, we, 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 we have not progressed as he has shown us. I mean, we have a, a whole structure here to guide us. So we are without excuse. We really need to, to get in there, right? It's a wonderful thing. And it, it, it changes you. It's fantastic. I don't think you can do anything successfully in any ministry if you're conscious of yourself. Right? Be that worship, evangelism. You need to forget about you. And you need to go out with a God consciousness like Abraham had. And after we've gone through all of that, there's three points at the bottom of your notes there. And this is God's goal, if you like, to create in us, to do to us once we're in that place. The first thing I believe he wants to do is he wants to give us a, a, a praying heart. A heart that understands him, a heart that understands, you know, the priesthood, if you like. A praying heart. The second thing is that he would create in you a patient heart for other people, for yourself, but also for other people. Now, there's definitely not enough of this. In fact, let me show you it. Turn to Hebrews, if you will. Hebrews chapter 4. A moment. Or was it Hebrews chapter 7? Sorry. In fact, let me... Hebrews chapter 2, sorry, I've got my scriptures. I was looking for that one where it says that Jesus is our great high priest who can sympathize. Where is it? 2.17. Can someone find that? It's where, yeah, 2.17, is it? 2.18, you got it there? You read that, Tom, please. Listen to this. 217. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. There you go. And that he might make atonement for the sins of people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2. Please find it in your Bibles a moment. Look at it. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Fantastic. For this reason, he had to be made like you in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people because he himself suffered and he was tempted he is also able to help those who are being tempted. It's a, in, in other words, it's my second point at the bottom of your notes. We need to develop the same heart that Jesus had there, a patient heart with other people. Don't answer this out loud. How tolerant are you of others? How tolerant are you? Are you intolerant? Judgmental? We can't be. You know... Jeanette, do you know what I'll do? I'll give you a break if you give me a break. No, I don't mean your hip. <laughs> I'll give you a break if you give me a break. Okay? Gordon, you know what? I'm not the best pastor in the world by a long shot. But you know what? 
I'll do a deal with you. I'll give you lots of grace, lots of patience, but you know what? I need it back. Would you also, don't look at me like that. Would you also, <laughs> would you also, would you also give me grace? Amen. Do you know what, folks? I can't put you down. I can't be impatient with you. Why? Because I need you to be patient with me. That's why. What did we just read? For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered in being tempted, he is also able to help those who are being tempted. So often as Christians, when the guy, I was a drinker, folks. I drank like a fish for years. And I know what alcohol is. Do you think I wanted to drink? Ultimately, I did not want to go in there. But you know what I was? Shy. Don't you come? I'm serious. I was shy. And it was the only, I didn't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's what drink is, you see. It's a substitute. So the alcohol would give me confidence with the goyles. You know what goyles are? It's girls. <laughs> and a New York accent. Alcohol. Now, do you think I wanted alcohol? In my heart of hearts, I didn't want alcohol. But you know, the many Christians would be so shallow in their own understanding or so impatient or so intolerant that they would judge you because you were drunk, as I often was, in the street. But I didn't want to be there. And the guy with the needle just about to stick it in his arm, I know because I judged drug addicts for years. I wouldn't go anywhere near them until God put us in Dublin and we opened our doors and in come all these addicts. And I'm saying, God, I didn't ask for this. No, you didn't. But this is what you're going to understand something. And as I got to know them, within a very short time, I thought, wow, I judged you. As I met Jimmy Dunn's wife, her first husband, Mark Morrissey, gentleman, wealthy family in, in Dublin, you know, went wrong, went wrong. Stuck a needle in his arm, having a bit of a trial. 70% of those who do that get addicted on the first hit, right? So he didn't even know what he was doing. Young man just tries it out. Next thing, he's an addict. And it just makes you patient with people. That's all. And that's a little bit of what happened Jesus. Jesus has been through it all. The Bible says that he has been tempted in every way. You haven't. You haven't. Jesus has been tempted in every way that it is possible to be tempted and still did not sin. And therefore, Jesus is able to sympathize. Now, you see, when I meet someone who comes in here and they're smelling of drink or whatever, do I judge them? No. Because I look and I think, there I am. There I am. There I am right there. I am patient with them, understanding them, and trying to bring them down the same road that I've come down myself. This is Christ. And no matter what your problem is, God can receive you. He simply wants to give you a heart transplant so that you behave like that towards everyone. Amen. Hallelujah. So you don't judge people in the wrong sense. Don't put people down or be self-righteous. You have no cause to be self-righteous, believe me. None. You just maybe don't know yourself well enough to understand that. You have, I repeat, 
you have no cause to be self-righteous. Jeanette once came to pick me up in the car. I'll never forget it. I've never seen her like this before or since. She arrived and she was scared. And I got in the car in the past. You see, you all right? And she was all oh, disturbed. Who was going, I, what, what's, you okay? She said, no. God just showed me my pride. I thought, oof. Must have been scary. Showed me my pride. I'm a, what a gracious God. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that. You have no cause for self-righteousness. Believe me, none of us have. So get rid of it. Because it's not a very good priest who's a self-righteous priest. The priest needs to empathize like Jesus here. Understand a praying heart, a patient heart, and ultimately a heart of compassion. My God, we lack this. We lack this, folks. We lack it. We're talking about the charismata. Well, here's your charismata. That the heart of God is beating in yours for people. I, we were driving in one day to the church like we did a thousand times before. The streets of Dublin are not a pretty place early in the morning. And, and we would go in very early. And there was always, a bit like here, there's always people sleeping in doorways, homeless people all over the place. Listen to this. And driving in one day, and we're just talking, and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. I turn the corner just where the church is, and there's a, 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 a homeless alcoholic guy just sitting on the seat. I tell you, I was devastated, devastated, on the spot, instantaneously. Soon as I saw him, my heart broke for him. And it was like one of those moments where you're a million miles away and bang, instantly I was in tears. Look at God. I dropped Jeanette to the church. I came back and I sat down beside that guy. It's this whole, it's the anointing. It's the heart of Christ for someone. I said, I don't know who you are, but I know this. God wants to save you. God wants you to know that he accepts you now. Just the way. That's the heart that's found in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God. And I pray that you get that, and I get that, and we keep it, and we keep the fire burning, amen, and exude that in this city which so desperately needs it. And street preachers, next week, you know what, folks? They can hear it in your voice. They can hear it from a hundred paces. Do they judge me? Or are they beckoning me in? My sheep hear my voice. And when Jesus was preaching, the sinners flocked because they heard. Now that, in that voice, I don't hear judgment. I don't hear judgment. You know what I hear? Hope. I hear hope for me. I'm going after him. And the sinners flocked after Jesus. This is where he forever lives. Let's make it our home. Let's bow your heads and invite the worship team back. Lord God, forgive us tonight. Forgive us for maybe taking a lighthearted or trite perspective on these holy, holy, holy things. And we ask, God, if we have let our fires go out, would you light them tonight? Would you light the fire within us as we put acceptable sacrifices before you, whatever that they may be? In each of our cases, we lay our lives down on the altar before you, God. You are worthy of all that we are.
all that we have, all that we ever will be. And God, forgive us for any self-righteousness that may be within us. We cast it off like a filthy rag. And we acknowledge that there is one Lord Jesus Christ. And it is you. You are our all in all. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. We ask it in Jesus' name.